Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Acts 8, 26 through 40. The passage will be on the screen for you or if you like. Please turn to Acts in your Bible. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to his chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thank you, Sam. That's the word of the Lord for us today. And when I, was, I went back there trying to make that mic work, I was just pushing sliders all over the place. So you probably have to fix it later. But Well, um, thank you for joining us today and uh, really glad you're here with us. And uh, I'm going to sit down. I liked it so much last week that uh, we're going to do it again. Well, have you ever played um, a particular game, maybe on a road trip or with friends, like Six Degrees of Separation or Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Anybody play that? No? No? Well, it's this game, and you take, you take Kevin Bacon, and uh, there he is. It's kind of scary, isn't it? And, and you try to connect, like, different actors and actresses to him through, like, the different co-stars that he's had. And you can see there, like, uh, within, like, five or six steps, right? And so you can see, like, there's some pretty big names, uh, like Judy Garland's over there on the, on the left-hand side, if you can see that. We've got Burt Lancaster on the other side. Uh, and uh, just, just all, these, all these things, like, connect people together. Uh, and this happens to us all the time, I think. Right? Um, have you ever been in a situation where, uh, like, you're, you're at some place, and you meet somebody, and you figure out that you're from the same place, and they're like, oh, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, yeah, and it's, like, it's, it's a small world. 
Uh, actually, just a couple, uh, a month or so ago, I was with, um, we'll, we'll get Kevin Bacon off of there. Uh, I, was, I was at a pastor's kind of training event for the district, and I had been wearing my Phillies mask uh, because I like it, and it's the Phillies, and they're terrible at the moment. Uh, but the speaker's husband, the, the, the lady who was, who was speaking, her husband came up to me, and she's like, are you from Pennsylvania? And I said, yes, I am. And they're like, well, where from? And I'm from Lancaster, and he asked what church I went to, and, and so they were like, okay, yeah, I, I, like, he's like, I know that church, like, do you know so-and-so? And I was like, yeah, I know that family, their youngest son, and I actually punched him in the eye, and now he has to wear glasses. Uh, I didn't tell him that part, uh, but it was an accident, and I don't feel bad. Um, but, like, these things happen to us all the time, especially if, like, you belong to the church or, like, a denomination. Like, Church of Nazarene specifically is, is like that. Um, I can't go anywhere without knowing somebody, it seems like. Uh, and, but it's not just, like, silly anecdotes or, you know, games that we might play. I think there's some, there's some science to it, and uh, these connections are, are absolutely everywhere. And I'm going to play a video, so just... Uh, this is from a YouTube channel called Veritasium and science, lots of science on YouTube if you didn't know, and it's, well, just watch this. I have a friend named Sammy who, back in the early 2000s, wrote some code for his MySpace page. And what the code did was anyone who visited his page would have his picture and a tagline that said, Sammy is my hero, copied over to their homepage. And that was a bit of fun for a while, but Sammy wanted more. And so he tweaked his code so that not only the picture and the tagline were copied over, but also the code itself. And now it exploded. In just nine hours, he had reached 480 accounts. In 13 hours, he was up to 8,800. And in just over 18 hours, he had hit a million accounts, which was a full 135th of all the accounts on MySpace at the time. So in a panic, he tried to delete his page. And when he was successful, he actually took down the whole of MySpace with it. He was arrested and convicted of computer hacking and ordered not to touch a computer for the next three years. But I think what this story really tells us is just how connected we all are. Imagine you have 44 friends, and each one of those friends has 44 friends who are not also your friends. And each of them has an additional 44 friends, each of whom has 44 friends, who again has 44 friends, and they have 44 more. Then, in a chain of just six steps, you would be connected to 44 to the 6, or 7.26 billion people, more than are alive on Earth today. And we've contemplated how closely connected we are since long before MySpace even existed. Back in 1929, a Hungarian author and poet named Frigyes Karinthi wrote a short story called Chains. And in it, one of the characters challenges the others to find another person on Earth that he cannot connect himself to through fewer than five intermediaries. This is the origin of six degrees of separation. If the theory is correct, it means that you would be connected to the Queen or Tom Cruise in just six steps. But they may be the easy ones. What about this shop owner or the Mongolian sheep herder? What the theory really means is that any two people picked at random from anywhere on the Earth will be connected by just six steps. The idea remained just fiction until in the 1960s, a Harvard psychologist, Stanley Milgram, attempted to test it. He called it the small world experiment. After that phenomenon where you're at a party, you meet a stranger and you find out that you have a friend in common. And you remark, oh, it's such a small world. 
What he did was he sent out 300 packages to people both in Boston and in Nebraska. Now what he wanted those people to do was try to send their package to a target person in Boston. But they weren't allowed to send it directly to him. They had to send it to someone they knew on a first name basis who they thought had a better chance of knowing the target and they could forward it on in the same way. Now, as you might expect, most of the packages never made it, but 64 did, and the average path length was 5.2. So now six degrees of separation had experimental confirmation, or did it. If you look more closely at Milgram's sample, you find that of the 300 people, 100 were located in Boston, the actual city where the target lived. Another 100 were stockbrokers which was the same profession as the target. So only 100 people lived in a different state and had a different job. And of them, only 18 of their packages made it to the target. So we're talking about a sample size of 18 is all the evidence there was for six degrees of separation. So experimental evidence was tough to come by. But a decade earlier, a mathematician named Paul Erdos had tried to work out the theoretical properties of networks like these. But he didn't have any information on the structure of real social networks, so he decided to work on networks where the connections between nodes were all completely random. And we can actually simulate a network like this using buttons and thread, where we just connect up the buttons at random. What Erdos found is that when the number of links per node is small, the network is fragmented. Pick up any button and few others will come with it. But once you exceed an average of one connection per node, the behavior of the network changes dramatically they almost all link up, forming a giant cluster. Now if you pick up any button, almost all of the rest will come with it. This change happens rapidly, and it resembles a phase transition in physics. And you could call this a small world network, since the path between any two buttons is short. More of it, yeah, I know. Some of you, I saw your eyes glaze over, and it was okay. What I really wanted you to see, though, is... Uh, that last bit with the, with the buttons and the strings. And, and just to, to kind of illustrate how connected we all are in, in ways that we often take for granted. Um, he'll say later on in the video, and you can watch it, there's like another six minutes maybe. Um, he'll say later on in, in the video uh, that in 2011, because this video is kind of old, 92% uh, of Facebook users were connected within five steps of each other. Uh, and, and like that's on Facebook. So all of the people you are connected to within five steps, 92% of, of the people who are active users of Facebook. And I found that like just particularly mind-blowing because Facebook is all over the world and it's millions and millions and millions of folks. But I don't think it's just technology uh, or, you know, our increased mobility that's a result for this. I think we're always, we've always as a species have been um, this kind of a relational, connected, networked folks. We're, we're born and made to be in relationships with one another and, and to have those relationships kind of be, well, just all over the place and, and to connect us to one another in, in lots of different kinds of ways. I think, if, as we get into this passage, that part of the reason that the gospel spreads all over the known world after Jesus' death and resurrection is because of this kind of relational connectedness, uh, that people are connected to each other, and sometimes they're kind of random acquaintances like we'll see today, and sometimes they're not, but the question needs to be asked, like, how are we going to use the connections that we have with one another, uh, both the ones that are within our immediate networks and, and the ones that are farther down connected on the, the button string? 
Well, uh, this, this passage that we're, we're at right now, and we're going to get to the map in just a second, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is the, well, it's the title that's kind of in my Bible, and uh, we'll get to that in a second, but we had to jump ahead four chapters from the, where we were last week. A uh, couple, uh, last week we talked about it, and a couple weeks ago we talked about the, the part right after what we talked about last week, um, but the, Jesus has uh, died and been resurrected, and he's gone back up to heaven, and the Pentecost has happened, the Holy Spirit has come and has spread the, the believers uh, out and about uh, the known world. And, and so we have stories like Peter and John, they're, they're going about their normal life, but they go to the, the temple at the time of prayer, and they heal this crippled man, and they cause a whole ruckus, and they get thrown in jail and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the believers come together, though, in a community that really didn't exist before, where they were sharing things, and they were loving each other, and they were uh, loving their community and, and the people around them and proclaiming with boldness the good news about Jesus Christ. Well, Peter and John, and, well, Peter, John, and Paul, and we'll, we'll meet him, actually, you meet him at the very beginning of chapter 8, which, which we didn't read. He's not Paul yet, he's Saul, and he's still trying to kill Christians. And Peter and Paul uh, will get most of the, well, most of the press throughout the book of Acts. But in this little particular spot, we get, well, we meet the man named Philip, and uh, we're not, scholars really aren't sure if he's the Philip that's mentioned in the Gospels or if he's the Philip that gets chosen to help um, take care of the, the Greek-speaking widows in the early church uh, in chapter 6. Uh, it doesn't really matter because what really matters is what Philip is about, uh, what he's doing. Uh, he has been running around, actually, the, the area of Samaria, which is uh, up towards the top there. Uh, right, well, it's above Galilee. Galilee's right at the top. And uh, he's been up in there, and he's proclaiming the good news, and, and lots of folks are, are adding to the numbers of those who believe in Jesus Christ. And he's up there, and uh, he's just doing what he's supposed to be doing. And an angel comes to him and says, I want you to now go to uh, the road that leads from, from Jerusalem to Gaza and uh, just start walking. And so he does. I, I don't know if you can see it. Um, it's this, I'm going to write on here again, and we're going to see if it works. It's this road, uh, it's like this road right here. Hey, it did it, kind of. Uh, so it's this road that starts right, that's Jerusalem, and he's going to go that way. And uh, he's going to walk. And it always amazes me, um, it always amazes me when God in the Bible tells someone, hey, just go and do this. And we were talking about this a little bit this morning. Uh, and like Abraham is one of those uh, main examples, right, in the, in the Old Testament. He says, like, I want you to leave the land where you were born and go to this place that I will show you. Um, Moses and the Israelites wander around uh, the desert for a whole long time, just kind of going where God tells them to go. And here we have it again in the New Testament. God says to Philip, I just, I want you to go and walk on this road. And so Philip just takes off and walks. And it's not an easy journey either. In fact, uh, the author of Acts tells us that it is, it's a wilderness road. And wilderness roads were, were notoriously, well, they were notoriously dangerous. Bandits would wait on the side of the road, and if you weren't traveling with like a large group, they would jump out and they would beat you and take all your things and your money and leave you on the side of the road for dead. You remember the, the Good Samaritan story, right? That's kind of what happens there. That's exactly what Philip was walking into. And despite the danger... Despite the distance, Philip is obedient, and he goes. Well, he's walking along, and uh, he sees this, his, this 
chariot, I guess, or a wagon of some kind, and there's a guy in it. And the author of Acts tells us that he's an Ethiopian eunuch in the court of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And now you might have uh, a specific image in your mind when you think about Ethiopians and eunuchs. If you need to know what a eunuch is, you have Google. Uh, so just, just do that, or not. Yeah, Jesse's shaking his head. Uh, well, anyway, this, there's a couple of things that uh, are important about him that I, that I think typify some things here. And so we have another map. Uh, Ethiopia is, I get to draw again. Ethiopia is this country right here. Yeah, right, right there, uh, right south of Sudan. And uh, that's not likely where this guy is from. <laughs> He's actually probably from the, the area of Sudan, which is right above there, uh, the, two, the two countries that's uh, Sudan and South Sudan, uh, the red one and the kind of tannish one. But uh, th- he's, he, as an Ethiopian, he's, he's obviously going to be a, a few shades darker than Philip is. Uh, and really, this, this term gets applied to anybody who's from kind of a far-off exotic place. Uh, so first off, we know that, that the guy that Philip is going to meet isn't just your, your regular guy. Uh, he is from a place that's far away that, that Philip can only imagine about, and even then probably has no real idea of what that place is like. So he's kind of exotic. Uh, now, being a eunuch, there's, there's some physical condition that go along with that, and, and the term that ends up being used doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, this fellow's physical makeup at the moment. Uh, but it has to do with his position in the court of, of the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. So what we can know from him is that he's like an important guy. He is high up in the, in the government. He has access to people who are in positions of influence and power. So not only is Philip, uh, or the Ethiopian, not only is he exotic, uh, but he's powerful as well and uh, important and from a long, long way away. Now, if, if you're paying attention, if you're paying attention to the book of Acts, one of the things that Jesus says before he ascends into heaven, he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses in places like Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, or the earth, the end of the world. And so in, in just a very short piece of scripture, Philip goes from proclaiming the good news in Samaria to taking the gospel without really leaving his area to the ends of the earth. Philip uh, is fulfilling this, this commission, this, this mission that Jesus has sent the early church on. Well, he, he catches up to the, to the cart where um, this fellow is, this Ethiopian is, and God says to him, I want you to catch up to him and have a conversation. And Philip cho- uh, approaches the, the chariot or whatever the guy's riding. I just kind of mentally think it's a chariot. Who knows if it is? Apparently, he's not going fast because Philip is able to catch up to him, and he notices that this Ethiopian is reading a passage of Scripture. And uh, he notices that it's a passage of Scripture that's from the book of Isaiah. And he wanders up to him, and he's like, hey, friend, do you know what it is that you're reading? And the Ethiopian's like, ah, no, how do I know? Like, unless someone explains it to me. Uh, Now, I think a couple things are important here. First, the fact that he's got a scroll of the prophet Isaiah is probably important. It, it means that maybe he's been in Jerusalem. Maybe that's where he's coming from. Maybe he's been there for a, an important kind of emissary kind of thing. He's an ambassador or something. 
Uh, maybe he's on a trade mission. Either way, he's, he's come into contact with these people who believe that God, there's this one God who created the heavens and the earth. And he begins to wonder about who this God is. And, and so he picks up this scroll, or maybe someone gives it to him, and he begins to read it, and it's so foreign to him. But at least it shows, I think, that, that, well, that God's begun to work where, where he sent Philip. Uh, do you remember on Easter, uh, Easter, one of the things the angel said to the, to the ladies that went to the tomb was, go ahead and tell the disciples to go to such and such a place because Jesus has gone there uh, before them. And one of the things I wanted to stress during Easter that particular day, and it's kind of the title that's influenced all of this Easter message, is that wherever God sends us, kind of God goes out before us. Uh, that God is in front of us all the time preparing the people and places that he sends us so that we might be faithful and obedient so that the message of Jesus Christ gets spread from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Philip's like, yeah, hey, this is the book of Isaiah. Now, the, the portion that we read this morning is, uh, actually, it's from Isaiah. It's not just any part of Isaiah. It's a suffering servant song. There's, there's several passages within the book of Isaiah where Isaiah talks about someone who is going to suffer for the sake of, well, the sake of Israel, for the sake of mankind, hum- humanity, anyway. And, and it was impossible for the early church not to read those sections of Isaiah and see Jesus in those descriptions. Uh, like, like this one. Surely he has b- borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our tra- transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are all healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned away turned our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that was before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. And although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Philip and the other church read passages like this one and they said, that is Jesus, like to a T. And so Philip is like, hey, I have have some interesting thoughts about this particular passage. And he hops in a chariot with, with the Ethiopian and he begins to explain all of the things about Jesus Christ beginning with the Old Testament, beginning with the, well, the story about Adam and Eve, I imagine anyway, I'm kind of making this up, that he tells them about Adam and Eve and how they sinned, but how God called out this man named Abraham to correct all of the sin and will be a part of the plan to correct all of the sin and brokenness that was in the world. And I imagine Philip uh, telling this Ethiopian all of the story, all of the points all along the way until he got to Jesus. Now, I wonder here if this isn't instructive for us, uh, as a church anyway. I, I wonder if, like, our role as a church is to, well, I know it is anyway, uh, to listen to where God is sending us to go. And, and then when we get there to have eyes that are open to see people who, who might be wondering about what it is that they're seeing and hearing. 
that maybe they've read some scripture and they don't quite understand it. I, I think it's our role as the community of faith to, well, to come up to people who are questioning and to help them understand. Now, I think there's something important about the way Philip does this. Uh, he, he asks, right? Like this guy asks him to help show him. Uh, and, and I think Philip has a spirit of kind of humbleness and humility, and he's offering this story as a gift to help this Ethiopian understand what it is that God is doing in the world. He, is, he, he isn't like berating the man or expecting this guy to know everything or explaining it like he, he understands and knows it and he's the only one that knows it and he's better than this Ethiopian because he, well, he can understand it. I wonder if sometimes we don't get a little arrogant with explaining the gospel. I don't know that you do. I don't. I hope I don't anyway. Uh, but that we might want to, we might want to just maybe be a little bit more like Philip, and and maybe wait till God tells us to approach somebody, or or if not, just to be open and have our eyes open to see where God is calling us to go, and that we might develop the sensitivity to to see that that God might be calling us to speak to somebody, and if we're rejected, maybe just to kind of go away. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't think that's the entire point of this passage, but I think there's something here that, that we enter into the world uh, not from a position of influence and power. Because with this Ethiopian man, this Ethiopian man, he is important and powerful and exotic. And Philip is a Jew from I don't know where. It's not important at all. Well, whatever, the, whatever uh, Philip said to the Ethiopian, uh, however God spoke to him, something happened in this Ethiopian's heart, and they come across some water, and the Ethiopian is like, yes, there is some water here. Why shouldn't I be baptized right now? Uh, the Ethiopian realizes that, that there's, there's something worth joining in here. There's something, he wants to participate with what God is doing in the world to bring about salvation and restoration. So the cart stops and they hop out and Philip and the Ethiopian go into the water and they go down under and Philip baptizes this Ethiopian. I don't know if they go back, you know, dry off and head back to the the cart or not before Philip just poof, it vanishes because that's what God just kind of plucks him away and sends him somewhere else doesn't seem to phase the Ethiopian. He, he sits there and returns to his country with joy. He's got quite a long journey, actually, if that map is any indication. I wonder, um, so we began this passage, this sermon, looking at like the connectedness between all of us. Uh, I wonder if, um, I wonder if, we are all connected in that kind of way for things like this. Uh, and, and I don't think it should be a surprise to us that, like, that God uses us to be connected in that kind of way. So can I imagine the Ethiopian going back to his, his hometown, going back to his job, and he's, he's joyful, he's full of joy. He wants to explain what he's been through, what he's seen and he's heard, and this encounter with this crazy guy that vanished. And and maybe he tells some of his friends who were in the court of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And maybe some of them believe. 
Maybe some of them don't, because it's kind of hard to give up your old gods. I mean, it is. But I wonder if one of them heard and accepted this good news that this Ethiopian brought back. He told another person, and he told another person, and he told another person. And sooner rather than later, there's a growing community of those who are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ has come to undo uh, the brokenness and the sadness and the death and the destruction that's in the world. I wonder, I wonder if that should be us, right? We're so connected in this world, like that whole Facebook bit, even that entire video, like the, the pulling of the string and the fact that like of the 7 billion people in the world or whatever it is now, like that we're connected. We know someone who knows 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 like everybody in the world, like that we're, we're connected in that way. I just wonder, we're so connected. I wonder what it would be like if we truly were like Philip and we listened to God's spirit telling us to go and do things. I wonder what, like the conversation that you might have with someone that God directs you to talk to wonder where that leads, where that ends up, where, where it ends. And, and maybe if you never see any fruit of that conversation where you share God's love and grace in word or in deed, when you help someone have food or clothing or a home or cooking supplies, I wonder where that deed goes, and it goes on and on and on, and soon enough the gospel goes from Judea and Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And maybe it goes from Fulton to I don't know where, Kansas. <laughs> That's the first thing that popped in my head, Gary. And then it goes all over the place. What I know is, is that we're not, I think we find it hard to be like Philip. We find it hard to truly listen and, well, to, to do what God is calling us to do. I, I don't know about you, I, and I, I've never had a, a, an experience where God says, you know, it's like just get up and walk and go and I'll show you what to do. And maybe I have, maybe I just missed it. But I, knew I, I do have times where, where God has told me to do something and I've not done it. So I don't think it's enough just to listen to what God is saying to us. I think we've got we've to respond and cooperate. And maybe that just takes little bitty, little bitty steps. I'm not saying you've got to march off to Mexico to proclaim the good news. My prayer is that for you and I, that we would be listening to the Holy Spirit and then not that we would just listen, but that we would obey and go. Because we're far too connected with everybody else to not be able to, to not, not have an impact in the world proclaiming God's message of grace and salvation. Let's pray. Dylan, thank you for this story and 
Christians in Africa who are Christians because of Philip's faithfulness and his obedience. Thank you that Philip was attentive to you and that he was obedient. Thank you that he was willing to stop and explain and help this Ethiopian understand well, what it is that you've come to do. Lord, we ask today that we would be like Philip. Uh, that we would be sensitive to what your spirit is saying to us. That when you call us to do something or go somewhere or talk to someone or to take care of somebody's need, uh, that we wouldn't just hear it. Well, that we would hear it in the first place. Help us to hear but that we would be obedient as well. And Lord, help us as we, as we have conversations and interact with the people around us, that we would do so with humility and love. And that we would not try to be right, but that we would try to be faithful. Lord, help us to be okay with not seeing the end of the story either. We don't know exactly what happened with the Ethiopian and who he influenced and who those people influenced. Philip never got to see that, never got to hear the end of that story. Help us be okay with that as well. Help us to be okay with the fact that the things that you have called us to do, we may never, ever, ever really see the fruit from. Lord, guide us and give us the strength to be faithful, to listen and to be obedient. This in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.